Bible said. Amen. Amen. Thank you, David. That is a beautiful, beautiful hymn. Ah. If you have your Bible, turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. One of the great theologians of the last 50 years was a man by the name of R.C. Sproul. And what many people do not know is that Sproul grew up in a very liberal Presbyterian church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And he recounts, or Stephen Nichols recounts in his new biography of Sproul, that every Easter, Sproul said he would hear the teaching that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was never meant to be taken literally. It was not a bodily resurrection. It just simply meant that every day we could rise to meet the challenges of a new day. When R.C. was converted his freshman year in college, he came home and told his pastor that he had been converted, that he had become a Christian, and his pastor asked him some questions, and Sproul answered him honestly what he knew from the Bible. He told him that he believed <clears throat> that Jesus Christ was crucified for our sins, and that he was buried, and on the third day he rose bodily from the dead. And his pastor looked at this young believer and said, any man who believes that is a fool. Let me tell you what we call any man, woman, who does not believe in the resurrection. Lost. An unbeliever. There is no such thing as being a Christian without believing in the resurrection. I, I looked at some post on social media this week and I uh, was not shocked to see many of them that said things like this dead men do not come out of the grave that's true they don't unless they're Jesus Christ resurrection is a miracle and if you begin with a bias against the supernatural then you are not going to believe in the Christian gospel. I saw a little thing the other day I, I thought was very good. It said, do you know the difference between progressive Christians and atheists? And the answer is atheists do not pretend to follow Jesus. That's the difference. In 1923, J. Gresham Machen wrote a book called Liberalism and Christianity. And he proved conclusively that liberal Christianity is not Christianity. It's just liberalism. Once you deny the Trinity, once you deny the resurrection, once you deny the penal substitutionary atonement provided by Jesus, you've got another religion. It's not Christianity. It's interesting to me to look today at many of the church growth gurus of our time who are watering down their faith in order to make it more palatable to the masses. That's what every liberal in the history of the church has done. Go all the way back to Frederick Schleimacher in Germany. 
250 years ago, or Rudolf Bultmann, you will find that what they wanted to do was make Christianity more palatable to the masses. And so they took out any element of the miraculous. It's what Thomas Jefferson did. Thomas Jefferson liked the idea of Christianity as an ethical system, but he couldn't swallow the miracles. So he just uh, edited his Bible. And then it was, you're not left with very much. The gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection. The gospel promises us that if we believe in Jesus, all our sins will be forgiven and that we will live with God forever. The good news centers on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We see that very clearly in the Gospel of Luke. It is all about Jesus from beginning to end. As you study this Gospel, you will hear Jesus preach the kingdom of God. He will perform numerous miracles of healing and deliverance. Jesus is the center of everything that happens in the Gospel of Luke. you, you see him calling disciples, teaching parables, rebuking religious leaders, calming storms, casting out demons, healing diseases, feeding the multitudes. And then on the last week of his life, Jesus is betrayed, he's arrested, he's tried, he is condemned, and he is crucified. His living presence dominates every page of Luke's gospel until you get to chapter 24. And then what is conspicuous is his absence. In these first 12 verses, he's not there. It is now the third day since he was crucified, taken off the cross, dead, and buried. And remember, he said on the third day, He would rise from the dead. So now Christ has risen. Yet in the beginning of this chapter, he is nowhere to be found, at least not his bodily presence. Why not? If this is the day that Jesus rose from the dead, then why don't we see him here, as we do everywhere else in this gospel? If Luke wants us to know for sure, then why don't we see see him raised from the dead? To to understand why Jesus seems to be missing, we we need to see what the women found when they went to the tomb. What the angels said to them there and how people responded to what they told them, whether in faith or unbelief. So we need to see first the discovery of the women in the first three verses. We begin with this little group of women who were the last to leave the cross and the first to arrive at the empty tomb. At the end of chapter 23, these women still had some unfinished business to attend to. They had watched Joseph of Arimathea take down the lifeless body of Jesus from the cross and then had lain that body in an unused tomb. I thought this week, by the way, I wonder if Joseph used that tomb later on. I mean, he loaned it to a friend, but he only needed it for three days. But anyway, taking careful note of where 
the tomb was, where the body was laid, they go back to their homes to prepare the spices that would be needed for a full and proper burial. They, they go back, they, they have their, their Sabbath rest, uh, they wait one day before coming to pay their respects to the teacher they love. But they never finished the task. They didn't get done what they'd come to the tomb to do. A surprise was waiting for them. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. At early dawn is a, is a striking e expression. When, when they set out on their errand, it wasn't just uh, uh, early dawn. It's what one scholar translates as deep earliness. Uh, I think that indicates how eager they were to finish their task. They wanted to do this one last thing for Jesus. In the providence of God, there had not been time to complete the burial process on the day that Jesus had died, to put the spices in the wrappings that, that was around his body. But it was an important part of God's plan because it drew them back to the tomb early on that Sunday morning. So all during this long Sabbath between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, they waited to finish their task, and when the time came, they came as early as they possibly could. And the women came expecting to find the dead body of Jesus. When they had last seen him, he was dead. Remember the Roman soldiers came to him. They didn't break his legs because he was already dead. Uh, and naturally, they assumed that his death was the end of his earthly existence. So it never occurred to them that his body would be anywhere except where it had been placed. So imagine how shocked they were to find that the tomb was empty and the body was missing. All of us, of course, know how the story ends with Jesus triumphing over death by the resurrection of his body. But it's hard to, for us to appreciate, knowing that, the full extent of their surprise. I think that finding the tomb empty initially just added to the to the sorrow and the shock that they already felt it put them in even deeper distress the Jesus who had been crucified buried had now disappeared Luke tells us that they were perplexed about that in verse 4 they were at a total loss to make any sense out of the situation. They couldn't explain it. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why did he suffer the reproach of being crucified? How could someone who was so alive end up dead? And where was the body that they had seen buried? Although the women did not know the answers to these questions, there were hints all around them. <clears throat> Miraculously, the stone had been rolled away from the tomb, leaving the house of death without a door. And as someone has remarked quite succinctly, 
they rolled the angel rolled the stone away not to let Jesus out but to let the women in he didn't have to be helped he rose from the dead by the power of a sinless life even more remarkable for them the body was not where it was supposed to be wasn't in the tomb Jesus obviously should have been obvious had been raised from the dead but what the women found was that they couldn't find Jesus. That was their discovery. The tomb was empty, and they did not know what had happened. Then notice the declaration of the angel, verses 4 through 7. The women saw some angels in the empty tomb. And their words help us to understand why Jesus is missing. Angels are the holy messengers of God. Very rarely they appear to human beings. And when they do, they are usually robed in radiant splendor and they bring fear and trembling to those who see them. So the angels give to the women a mild rebuke, which is in the form of a question. And it's my favorite question, I guess, in the whole Bible. Why do you seek the living among the dead? What are you doing, people? Why did you come looking for a dead man? I don't understand. They should have understood. When you really think about it, they shouldn't even been at the tomb. I'll explain why. But they, they should have not been at the tomb, and they especially should not have been surprised. When the angels ask that question, it is a gentle way of saying that the women were operating on the basis of a faulty assumption. They assumed Jesus was dead. That's why they're at the tomb. Uh, that's why they're, they're carrying all the oils, all of the spices to anoint his body. They believed that Jesus was still buried. They were looking for the living among the dead. Someone said... They were on the wrong premises because they had the wrong premise. Uh, that is true. Jesus was no longer dead. He's alive. And there is no sense looking for someone where they cannot be found. Not going to happen. He is not here, the angel said. He has risen. Jesus Christ is alive. And so this was the wrong place to look for someone who's alive. You don't go to a graveyard looking for a person who is living. When we say that Jesus rose from the dead, we're saying that it is a bodily resurrection. All of this nonsense that's spouted about, <clears throat> well, <clears throat> Jesus rising from the dead is just a way of, of saying to us that, that we can... We can meet the challenges of a new day, and every day is a new day, you know, and it, it's a spiritual truth. It's a spiritual resurrection. You can't have a spiritual resurrection. Resurrection means bodily. It has to be a body that rises from the dead. The, uh, the Greeks believed that the body was evil. It was bad. You didn't want anything to do with a body. But the Jews had taught for years that the spirit and the body were joined together. That made the person. 
the whole person. So we're not saying that Jesus is merely alive in our hearts or our memories. He is there. He is in our spirit. His Holy Spirit is joined with ours. But rather, we are saying that there is an objective fact and a physical reality about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The physical body of Jesus Christ was raised from the dead to life by the power of Almighty God. That is the message that we proclaim to you every Lord's Day. This is what we call Easter, our Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. We're here not on the Sabbath, which begins at midnight Friday and goes to midnight Saturday. We're here on the first day of the week because on this day our Lord rose from the dead. Do you get that? Without it, there is no Christianity. Without it, let's go play golf. Let's go fishing. Let's do something because we're wasting our time here. We're here to celebrate the resurrection of Christ from the dead. How, how could the women know that that was true? As far as they were concerned, Jesus was still missing. They hadn't seen him yet. How could they believe that Jesus had risen bodily from the dead unless they could see Jesus with their own eyes? More importantly, how can we believe that? In biblical faith, everything depends upon whether the central events actually occurred or not. We're not here because we believe some fairy tale. We're here because we believe historical facts, objective truth, reality. So how can we know for sure that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? What are we to do when skeptics claim that the resurrection was or is a hoax? What is the best way to respond to attacks on the veracity of the gospel? Some Christians answer by giving uh, evidence for the resurrection. And there is, a, there is a place for that. There is a discipline known as apologetics where we, we give evidence for the resurrection. It, it's a way of confirming the faith and of casting doubt on unbelief. It doesn't really convince anyone of the truth of the gospel. It is only the gospel, remember, that is the power of God unto salvation for them that believe. But it is useful, and it has a place. And I thank God for men who are trained in the discipline of apologetics. The very fact of the empty tomb is evidence that demands a verdict. You, you have to decide why it's empty. The body of Jesus was dead, having been crucified. Then it disappeared from the tomb where it was buried. That was widely known. That was accepted as a fact in the early days of the church. No one could say that Jesus was still in the grave because it was vacant. You can make up stories about why it was vacant, but that was a fact. Moreover, that body that has disappeared was the same body that was crucified. This historical fact, the absence of the body from the empty tomb, 
joins the crucifixion and the resurrection and helps to confirm that Jesus rose from the dead. And yet, it is not by giving evidence of the resurrection that the angels sought to convince the women as to why the tomb was empty. They did not try to reason on the basis of physical evidence, nor did they make a case for Christ rising from the dead by refuting any alternative explanations as what might have happened to the missing body. They didn't say, well, it wasn't stolen, that he didn't just swoon. They, they didn't do that. Instead, now get this, 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 is, this is the sermon right here. You can't leave after I say this, by the way. What the angels did was simply said to them and to us, remember what Jesus said. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Why are we to believe in the resurrection? Because Jesus Christ said he would rise. He is the truth. He cannot lie. We are to believe it. We've not seen the empty tomb. We've not. You may have. You may have been to Israel, but where the tomb was is a matter of great conjecture among archaeologists and Bible scholars. But we didn't see it that first morning. We we haven't seen the resurrected Christ. We've not laid eyes on him. We are to believe in the resurrection on the basis of what Jesus said. The empty tomb itself is not self-explanatory. There is a word that explains the deed, and the word is the gospel message. That Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. We believe the resurrection because the word of God says Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's enough. That is enough. The angels told the women to remember the prophecies Jesus had made. He had told them repeatedly. They weren't listening. They didn't want to hear that. They were so uploaded with, with visions of messianic glory that they couldn't hear what he was saying. He said repeatedly, Look, evil men are going to take me. They're going to try me. They're going to crucify me, but I will rise from the dead. And yet, they didn't hear that. But all the words that he had spoken came true. He was crucified, dead, buried, and now raised from the dead. Now it was the third day. Jesus had promised to rise from the grave. Indeed, this is the day that he must rise from the grave. It is a matter of divine compulsion. Just as he must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, he must rise from the dead. Therefore, when the women went there, they should have known the tomb would have been empty. As a matter of fact, they really had no business going there. Not really. Because he had said repeatedly, I'm going to rise from the dead. They didn't believe it. The reason they were perplexed 
was because they didn't believe what Jesus said. That's often the case. Until we believe the Word of God, life is all too perplexing. But when we do believe, everything starts to fall into place. That explains why Jesus is missing from the passage. The risen Christ does not make a personal, physical appearance until later in the chapter. The other Gospels also show Jesus appearing to Mary, the other women, in the garden. Luke first shows us the empty tomb, and then later shows us the risen Christ. He does that to repeat and therefore to emphasize the word of God, that Jesus had said all of this is going to happen. So although Jesus is not in these first 12 verses, his word is. This is how we know for sure that Jesus rose from the dead. We believe the word of God. Again, we've not seen his resurrection body any more than the women had. But we've heard the gospel word. We've read the Bible. We know what God's word says. That should be enough for us. And it should have been enough for them. Remember what Jesus said. He would be crucified to atone for sin. And then raised from the dead. That he might give eternal life to all who believe on him. If we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead the third day, God will forgive our sins and give to us eternal life. Victory over the grave. That's why that's why Paul tells the Thessalonians when death comes you can weep, you can mourn, but you can't do it like those who have no hope. Why? Because Jesus Christ has conquered death. And all those who live and believe in him conquer death. For us who are believers, for our loved ones who are believers, death is like walking out the door back there. You just walk into eternal life. What joy! What sweetness is in this gospel message. There is no hope outside of this gospel message. So what was the disciples' response? Verses 8 through 12. The women did not find the body of Jesus. They found an empty tomb. We know what the angels said to them. How did they respond? They responded in faith. These godly women had been with Jesus from the beginning. They had supported him throughout his earthly ministry. They had heard his teaching. Therefore, they could remember what he said. As soon as they remembered his words, they weren't perplexed anymore. They knew what had happened. Oh, yes! Jesus said he would rise from the dead. He has risen indeed. They understood why the tomb was empty. Jesus was not among the dead, but among the living. This was the best of all possible news. It meant that there was an avenue of victory over sin and death. It meant that when they died, 
they too would live again. It meant that they would go to be with Jesus. So immediately, they found the 11 disciples and all the other followers of Christ, and they testified to what they had seen and heard. Augustine said these women became the first preachers of the resurrection. And, of course, the disciples jumped for joy. Yeah, not exactly. <laughs> not exactly. But this is the way we should respond to the resurrection. By believing it and by telling others. There, there should be a word for that. Something like maybe euangelion, evangelism or something. You know, there ought to be a word for that. You believe the message of Jesus and you tell others about it. We do not seek to compel people to become a Christian by force. It is not Christianity tribute or the sword as it is in Islam. Rather, we announce a saving message. Jesus died for your sins, was buried. He rose the third day. Believe in him. Believe that he died for your sins and rose the third day. And receive eternal life. The forgiveness of sin. But we got to make that announcement. It is only by gospel words that anyone comes to faith in Jesus Christ. There's a saying, I think, that is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. It says, preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. Dumbest statement ever made. How are you going to preach the gospel without words? Well, you can do kind deeds for people. Okay, how are they going to know what those kind, why you're doing those kind deeds? You can give a cup of cold water. Yes, you can. But unless you tell them why you're giving them that water, they have no idea. Listen, you have to use words to proclaim the gospel. No other way to do it. Tell others how you have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Simple words. I think a lot of times we are afraid of evangelism because we think we cannot convince people of the truth. <laughs> I've got news for you. We can't. We can't. I can't convince anyone that this is true. All I can do is announce it. And the Holy Spirit convicts of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. You can't persuade anybody you know, having 752 verses of just as I am will finally convince somebody to walk out just get everybody to shut up. But it doesn't mean that you have drugged them into heaven because you can't do that. What we can do, we won't do. Only God can convict people of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. We can't do that. We can announce the message. God doesn't do that. We want to do what we can't do, and we don't want to do what we can do. Let's do what we can. And let's, let's do that much. The apostles did not respond in faith. Notice what Luke says in verse 11. It seemed to them as an idle tale, and they did not believe them. It sounded like unintelligible nonsense. In fact, the Greek word for idle tale is a is a term that was used in in medicine to talk of the wild ramblings of someone who was 
uh, in delirium, sick with a fever, and they rambled nonsense, nonsensically. The disciples literally thought the women were out of their minds. Why didn't they remember the words? So the thing still happens, that still happens today. If you occasionally doubt, don't worry about it. The disciples did too. It seemed to them as an idle tale. They did not believe that Jesus was crucified to pay the debt of their sin. They believed he was dead. They believed he was buried. They didn't believe he had risen from the dead. And yet they had seen evidence of him raising people from the dead. The son of the widow of Nain. The daughter of Jairus. Lazarus. They had some evidence that he had power over death. It's encouraging to me to see that they were a bit skeptical, honestly. At first, they didn't believe in the testimony of Jesus. In fact, they just simply thought these women were lying. But they did come to believe. And their belief was so strong that many of them died preaching this truth. Jesus rose from the dead. Some people think that it would be easier to believe if we could go back and see the empty tomb for ourselves. But the men and women who did see the empty tomb struggled with spiritual doubt as much as anyone. They didn't believe at first. They came to believe later on. When they believed, it was because they had believed the same words of Jesus that we are given here. They came to faith by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We have this word, that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. According to the word of the gospel, Jesus is not among the dead because he is living. He was crucified for the forgiveness of our sins. His sacrifice has been accepted by God. How do we know for sure that God's wrath was propitiated by the death of Jesus Christ? God raised him from the dead for our justification. If there had been any lack in the sacrifice that Jesus made, he would not have come from the dead. But he came from the dead again by the power of a sinless life. So death is not the end for us. But by faith, we have the gift of eternal life. In Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. In Jesus Christ our Lord. Believe the words of Jesus. Believe the words of this gospel. Believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. That he was buried that he rose the third day. Now the resurrection body of our Lord Jesus Christ 
is at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. Shining in glory. Ruling the universe. And one day soon, he will raise us up to be with him forever. That is the gospel that we preach. That is the message that we believe. That is the glorious sweetness, the amazing grace of this that we call Christianity. Let's pray. Our Father and our God.